What's happening, guys? Welcome back to Creating Space, episode 34, coming at you live and direct. This week, I bring to you the $100 million man, the host of the YouTube show Valuetainment. This is Patrick Bet David. Patrick is a lifelong entrepreneur. Since 10 years old, Patrick has been trying to figure out how to make money in his own unique way. Today, he is the CEO and founder of PHP Agency, which stands for People Helping People, as well as the host of Valuetainment, and as well as the visionary boldly pursuing the journey of creating schools and universities specifically for entrepreneurs and entrepreneurship. Patrick Bet David has an incredible story of sickening work ethic, sickening drive and ambition and commitment to a goal. Patrick talks to us a little bit about his newfound goal in teaching entrepreneurship, and he explains to us just how he's doing it on his YouTube channel called Valuetainment. It's easy to find on YouTube. The channel is an excellent source of inspiration and motivation on a daily basis in and around the topic of entrepreneurship. For those of you who are not familiar with the channel, I'll give you a little bit of a taste right now. Check this out. Most people only pay attention to the final product of a successful entrepreneur. They say things like, I can never be like them, or they got lucky. What most don't see is what they've overcome. All the struggles, the daily rejections, the heartaches, the betrayals, the rumors, the criticism, the empty bank account, and all those lonely nights while trying to make their vision a reality. You see, the only difference between the one who quits and the one who doesn't is that they showed up every day. They worked hard every day. They hustled every day. They learned from a proven mentor every day. They improved every day. They did all this even though they felt like quitting every day. And eventually, they became who they are today. Wow. Goosebumps, right? You know, when I was an athlete and I needed inspiration or motivation for continuing to train hard, I'd go to YouTube for a Michael Jordan clip or maybe a Muhammad Ali clip, or even more recently, a Conor McGregor quote. But now, as an entrepreneur, when the world of entrepreneurship hits me in my face and knocks me to my knees, I go to Patrick Bet David, and I clue into his YouTube channel, Valuetainment, and he lifts me up, and he gives me new lungs with new air and new life to breathe. So without any further ado, let's bring this entrepreneurial Hall of Famer onto the show. Patrick, what's happening, my man? Welcome to Creating Space. It's good to be on, man. How you doing? Hey, listen, life is good. It's about to get better. I have a feeling you're going to teach me, along with the Creating Space tribe, a wealth of knowledge, a wealth of information right now. I'm just happy to get on and vibe with you for a little bit, buddy. Well, it's good to be on, man. Let's get into it. So here's the thing. You know, I'm sitting in my car and my life right now is fully immersed in creating space. How do I find 
new content? How do I talk to people who are peak performers, people who have unique stories? And all of a sudden, Entrepreneur on Fire comes on, and here's your story. And I'm sitting listening to you thinking, man, what an incredible story, right? And you're talking about how you've gotten to the point that you are. But you talked a little bit that there was this moment, right? This moment where you're sitting in this Ford Focus. And it's, I think it's early 2000s. And, you know, you're sitting there and, and you're not sure, you're unsure. And I want to kick this story off, this conversation off with that moment. And then I think I want to follow where it goes. Can you tell the listenership kind of a little bit about that story? And let's go from there, Pat. Yeah, you know, it's amazing because my my father, my mother, we escaped Iran six weeks after Khomeini died, which was mid-July of 1989 is when we left. We went to Germany. I lived there at a refugee camp for about a year and a half and then came to the States. And I I didn't do too well in school, 1.8 GPA. Then I joined the Army, U.S. Army, 101st Airborne Division Air Assault. I got out. And I wanted to be the modern-day Middle Eastern Arnold Schwarzenegger. I was going to marry a Kennedy. I was going to go be a Hollywood star. I was going to win Mr. Olympia and one day run for governor, right? Okay. And it it didn't work out like that. I remember uh, at that time, I was partying heavy. I was at nightclubs eight days a week, if I could. I was constantly partying. I had one priority, and I was chasing skirts, and that was pretty much it, and lifting weights. And my dad, I get a call that my dad had a heart attack. And I went to UCLA Medical Center, and I'll never forget, I walked upstairs, and I saw him just laying there, and, you know, seeing the most powerful man in your life that had so much impact in you, weak, can really mess with you as a man, especially if you're a man, it's different. It, it bothered me, it hurt me, I felt responsible for it. Um, I was upset, my temper was at its all-time high when I was at the hospital because the nurses weren't taking care of my dad because it was a government paid, you know, hospital. He didn't have any health insurance. He had zero health insurance. He was working at a 99 cent store and they're not going to give him better service than whatever they were giving him at that time. So I went downstairs and my Ford Focus and um, I sat in there and I will tell you, Wes, I've cried in my life before because of different pain. But I've never cried 30 minutes straight. I cried 30 minutes straight, and it had to be uh, the lowest level of disappointment I had in myself. Here's your family sacrifice, their relationships, their friendships, everything they had to come to America, and all you want to do is party every single night, and you can't get off your ass and go work 80, 90, 100 hours a week to help this man no longer have to go through this. And if he dies, you have to live with this with the rest of your life. That was too painful for me. I always had this dream of my father meeting my kids. I wanted to have boys because I'm the only one in our family that can continue the last name of Bed David. And if I don't have boys, this Bed David last name is done with. It's no longer a Syrian community. It's a very small community. So long story short, uh, I came back the next day. And from that moment on till today, I can't think of many weeks where I haven't worked 80 hours in a week. Minimal. Wow. At that time, obviously, I took it to 100 hours in a week. And within a year after that, I took my dad to Hawaii. And I've taken him all over the world. I've probably taken him to Hawaii 10 times. Um, you name I've surprised him on his birthday. And we went and sat right next to Kobe Bryant Courtsy. I've done a lot of fancy things for him. Because at the end of the day, these people have done a lot for us. All we can do is bust our tail to give it back to them just a little bit. 
Listen, man, what a story. And guys, if you can't feel that energy and the passion, I don't know if you have a heartbeat. But Patrick, here's where I want to sit for a second. There was an emotional reaction in that moment where you saw your, your father in that dire situation. What was it you had seen him do from your young childhood that ignited you inside in that moment? Yeah, so, you know, I, I am Middle Eastern, and one thing Middle Eastern community is known for, we're not a affirmation type of a, a community. So there is no, um, first time my dad told me he loves me. Let me tell you the story here. I've never heard my dad say I love you until it was October of 99. And here's what happened. Uh, I came home and I sat down with him and I said, listen, man, I got to talk to you. He says, what is it? I said, you got two kids and neither one of us have ever heard you say, I love you. We got to change this. I look at him in the eyes and I say, dad, I just want you to know, I love you. And he says, what is wrong with you? <laughs> I said, I'm telling you, I love you. I said, I want you to tell me you love me. He says, you're, you're out, you're becoming too Americanized. This is crazy. I'm not going to tell you I love you. You're out of your mind. He flips out. What? And he, I'm like, what, what is, what is wrong with this guy? So anyway, so I go to work and then I'm at work. I get a call from my dad. My dad never calls at work. So I'm like, what is the, my dad calling for? And he's got a very awkward, uncomfortable voice. And he says, Hey, it's like, he's angry at me. I says, he says, Hey, what are you doing? I said, I'm at work. What do you mean? What am I doing? He says, uh, anyways, I just wanted to call you. I said, well, that's good. Do you, do you have anything to tell me? He says, yes. I said, what's that? He says, uh, I love you. Click. <laughs> if you know my dad. So then an hour later, I get a call from my sister. My sister calls and my sister says, hey, Pat, I'm concerned. I said, what's that? She says, uh, is that is that starting to have health problems again? I said, no, why? He says, because he just called me and he told me he loves me. He's never told me this before. Right. So anyways, I'm telling you this because my dad was not the one that sh that told you he loved you. But let me tell you, man, that guy, listen, I've never once in my life seen this man tell me that he's going to do something that he didn't follow through on. Wow. I'm just telling you, I've never, and these guys, my parents got a divorce. Uh, they, they didn't work out. My mother was a communist. My father was an imperialist. They fought all the time. It was difficult times. But if there is anything I could tell you about my dad, he's the hardest working man I've ever met in my life. And he's the man that if in our community, even when the parents got a divorce, watch this, Wes, this is pretty epic here. When, the, when, our, when my parents got a divorce, and then whenever there's a divorce, there's a lot of hate. And there was a lot of hate because in a Middle Eastern community, you don't get a divorce because it's frowned upon tremendously. Like America's got a two out of three marriages end up at a divorce. You get a divorce in Iran, you're humil that entire family is looked at. You're going to be a failure for the rest of your life. So... Even after the divorce, my mother's family, there was only one person they trusted to give two, three hundred thousand dollars of money to know that that money was going to be in a safe place. It was always my dad. So wow. my dad was a man of character. He was a very hardworking man. He was a guy that wanted to keep his promises. He would always tell me things up. Never be afraid of the truth. Never, ever be afraid of the truth. He says, I don't care what happens. Never be afraid of the truth. You always tell the truth. Finish what you start. Work hard. Um, and so he came from that side of it. So there's an affinity because, look, you think, I don't know your story, but, you know, the jersey behind you, you made it to pro. I mean, you know how many kids dream about becoming a pro? Everybody grows up saying one day they want to play professional baseball. That was my dream. You want to play professional baseball or soccer or be a professional singer that people pay to come and listen to you 
uh, uh, thing. You, you, you got to a point that people pay to watch you play soccer, watch you play a game that, you know, you love playing. And it's not an easy task to do. It's tens of thousands of hours of practice. But you have memories of your mom or your dad that went to practice with you and they didn't have to. And you have memories of the drive that you were part of a club that they had to take. You know what I'm talking about. Absolutely. I mean, I, and when you go, when you when you peel the onion there, and you just sit in a quiet place, it's got the chills all over my body. If you peel the onion there and you really get into it, man, it, it won't take long to get emotional. It will not take long to get emotional and realize why would I not give everything I got to make sure these people, uh, my parents, can say I made the right choice for what I do with this kid. Why wouldn't you do it? So that's where the fire came for me. I love it, Patrick. You know what? I was getting chills when I was listening to you talk about it because I can remember hearing my dad when I was fourth, fifth grade, a young, impressionable kid trying to be an athlete. He was coaching me in track as a sprinter and I was also playing soccer. He would wake up, knock on my door when he would go to work out at 4.30 in the morning and ask me, you want to go? You know, and, and he would always say to me, while you're sleeping, your competition is working, you know, and my dad, sickening work ethic, sickening work rate. He's always, he's almost afraid of standing still. So it resonates so highly with me. And I feel like if the situation was reciprocated and I were to see my old man in that situation, it would ignite a fire for me as well. So let's go into a little bit into that level of sickening work ethic that you have, that you have inherited from your old man. When you got that fire ignited, what was the first step you made um, in choosing a newfound direction? Kind of what happened from that mo moment moving forward? Yeah, so, you know, um, th there, is, there is different levels of reasons why we work hard, okay, and to make money. The lowest level is survival. Everyone works hard to put food on the table. Survival is having a place to sleep that's at least a warm place, uh, and to have your three square meals a day. Most of the world is going to work hard to hit level one. Level two is going to be status. Status is, you know, hey, uh, I want to drive a Mercedes because I want to take this girl out and I want to, you know, uh, hook up with her and I want to make sure I'm not going in a Toyota Corolla. I want to drive a Mercedes. Or, hey, my buddy's driving a Porsche. I got to get a Porsche, you know, so... My buddy's got a nice Breitling watch. I got to get a Breitling watch. My buddy got his own place. I got to get my own place. My sister's making a hundred grand. I got to make a hundred grand. So it's status. Second right. level. Is status. So first one is survival. Then it's status. Number three is freedom. Uh, freedom is uh, 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 has nothing to do with anybody else. Freedom is at what number are you free to do whatever you want to do? What is that number for you? So maybe your number is five million. It could be ten million. Uh, it could be two million. It could be a million. It depends on your lifestyle and what part of the world you're living in. So then it's freedom. The biggest challenge after freedom, uh, and by the way, most people stop at status. Most people stop at status at your level. Why do you think that is? Why do you think people stop at status? Well, because because uh, because it's it's a big deal to say I'm doing better than my sibling. Ah. It's a big deal to just be doing better than your best friends. It's a big deal to be doing. If your buddies went to school, they're making 88 grand and you're making 138. It's like, hey, man, I'm, I'm the, you know, I'm making 138. Everybody wants to one day make 138. So I'm the man. Right. But but it's just driven by the wrong things. And don't get me wrong. 
The only way you ever get to the highest level is by going through survival and status. You have to go through it. So I'm not knocking it. I was status many years ago when I had to go through the status phase. Then there's freedom. And the last level, West, very few people hit, is purely purpose. Um, mm. For me, at this point of my life, I am obsessed about a very simple thing. Very, very simple thing for me. I am obsessed about every single person in the world knowing about entrepreneurship, knowing about capitalism in some countries that they don't have the access that you and I do to a system called capitalism, which is purely a mathematical system. I want those countries to be able to have the ability to um, not necessarily revolt against their government because that's too scary of a word to use on your uh, uh, on your. <laughs> But to, to have the education and the knowledge when someone says communism is the way to go, to not be naive and say yes. Socialism is the way to go, to say yes. No, let me give you the argument. No, I disagree with you. Here's why. Look, 100% of world's problems are going to be solved by entrepreneurs. 100%. I was at Harvard for three weeks. I just got back two weeks ago. And I'm sitting in this place four weeks ago. I just, I'm sitting in this place. And one day, everyone is chosen to pitch in front of 200 people. I'm one of them. There's 16 of us. We're all pitching a company in front of everybody. One of the guys gets up and his pitch is his pitch is the fact that they're finding a cure for cancer. Great. We hear that all the time. Next guy gets up. His pitch is in Africa, they're struggling with water. There's not enough supply of water. West, they created a machine. It's a big plant. This plant costs $100 million to make. It produces 1 million gallons of water from air. From air. Whoa. From air, it, so these guys have figured out the way. While the world is frightened on what we're going to do with lack supply with water, is a is a big epidemic. A hundred million dollar plant produces a million gallons of water. Uh, this is insane on what they're talking about. Then another guy gets up and he says, "Here's what we're doing." He shows us technology. This one's going to give you the chills all over your body. They have come up with the technology to give any city, any county, any country a warning of an earthquake hitting within three minutes. No way. So think about this. Right now, it's 12.08 my time. It's like us getting an alert right now on our phones. You know how we get Amber alerts sometimes? Sure. You get an alert in your phone saying in three minutes, a 6.3 earthquake's going to hit, go to a safe place. And we run outside. We got three minutes to it. Right. Why, why am I telling you this? I'm telling you this because um, when, when I started the channel Valuetainment and you know, initially the channel was called Patrick Bay David, and then we changed it to Valuetainment because Patrick Bay David is one name. He's going to die one day. Valuetainment is going to live forever. It's so, so the great thing is we wanted to have one name. So if you go on YouTube and type in the word entrepreneur on the first page, out of 25 videos that have come up, 10 of them are probably ours. We fully believe that the world is a better place if we give birth to more entrepreneurs. There are 7.2 billion people living in the world today. We only have 400 million entrepreneurs. If we take that to a billion, my gosh, God knows what problems are going to be solved, how the world's going to look like, what new inventions we're going to have, what new social issues we're going to solve. If we take that 400 million to a billion entrepreneurs, if we take it the percentage wise to you know 15% instead of just 5%, many things will happen. So the highest level of work ethic, if it's purpose, I mean, you, you know, what are you not working for? What's the whole reasoning for not working? If the purpose is a bigger purpose, you can't stop. Here's what I love is that once you 
find your purpose. You'll get attached to a work ethic because you'll know it's meant for you. You'll, you'll have that feeling and, and the work comes almost naturally, I'd like to say. At least it does for me. What I love about what you're doing is I've actually gotten the opportunity to log on to your website and do the ultimate self-discovery questionnaire, all right, which is it took me a day and a night um, and I had to in a time where it was Sunday and I wanted to go watch NFL football and I wanted to hang out with everyone, I had to take a second in my apartment and really focus on it because I know it's going to help alchemize or, or strip away all of the fat and get me really focused in what it is I want to do. However, I've got an idea of what my purpose is. I already have found it. And it took two years of depression and anxiety after uh, an injury that separated me from professional athletics. What would you say to the person who doesn't have a purpose, who's going to this job, working a nine to five that they hate, their, their body is deteriorating, their health is faltering. What's the first thing that you would say to them when they're asking you, Patrick, man, how do I find what I'm meant to do? It's, it's a very deep question, and I'm going to try to explain it in the simplest way where it makes sense to you. So, so think about it this way. Uh, political beliefs. I'm not trying to get political here with you, but I'm going to, I'm going to give you the example of political beliefs. I used to always ask myself, why does this person believe in this certain political belief, right? And there's four levels when you think about politics. One of them was um, because that's how their families always voted. So, hey, my family's always been a Republican. I'm a Republican. My family's always been a Democrat. I'm a Democrat. My father's always said, stay away from politics. I stay away from politics. So this is a person that just does. And black people vote Democrat. You know, military votes Republican. Uh, you know, Hispanics vote Democrat. Whatever it is, this is just what I, because my family's done it. Then the other part is where a person had a, teacher, professor, father, uncle, a person that took a liking into you, a coach. And because that person replaced a father figure you didn't have or a mother figure that you didn't have, whatever that person's belief system is, is you. They inspired you. You become them, right? Because you kind of feel like you're indebted to them. I never had a father. This man wants to be my father. He believes in this. I believe in this. The other one is going to school. You could go to school. If you go to BYU, odds are you're going to find out about Joseph Smith and Mormonism. That's BYU. If you go to uh, Berkeley, you're probably going to read Karl Marx, Communist Manifesto, four times. That's just how it is over there. If you go to Wharton Business School, you're going to read Wealth of Nations by Adam Smith. You're just going to do that. You know. And then there is, uh, the last one is life events. Let me explain what I mean by life events. Life events are, say you are a person that believes in guns, hypothetically, a person believes in guns. Then one day he has a four-year-old that goes and finds the gun that's sitting around and he shoots himself and he shoots himself on the leg. And for the rest of his life, they have to amputate his leg. This man has an emotional connection to guns in a way that's tough to describe. He doesn't believe people should have a gun in their house. You can't ever change this person's mind. Ever. Sure, sure. You, you can't, and, and you should never even make an effort to do that because it's disrespectful to that person. How dare you try to change my mind when my kid can't walk anymore? Right. It's a waste of debate. It's not necessary, right? So your question is, Pat, I know my purpose. I found it two years ago, and you're talking about the ultimate self-discovery question. You took a day and a night, apartment, football, NFL. You sat and you went through the questions. 
Great. How about somebody who doesn't have their purpose? Three things. I wrote a book called Leaderless Revolution. Leaderless Revolution was written by a British diplomat. Not a good book, but one part of the book, he said something that stuck with me till today. He said revolutions and big changes in people's lives happen based on three feelings. What you hate, what you love, and what bothers you. So a person's purpose is going to be stemmed from one of those three things. Take a sheet of paper, whoever this is, make a list, what I love, what I hate, what bothers me. Make a list of it. When you make a list of things that you hate, you love, and bothers you, it could be 40 things that comes up. So for instance, what do you hate? I hate domestic violence. Why? You watch your dad beat up your mom. I'm just throwing things out there. What do you hate? I hate kids that don't have, they live in an orphanage house. Why? Because that's what you, so I don't like the fact that kids are being bullied. Why? Because you were bullied or your sister was bullied. I don't like, uh, uh, you know, human trafficking. Because why? Because someone, it doesn't matter. Something's got to be, it's got to be here and it can only matter to you. It can't matter to somebody else. It's got to be you. The only person that matters in this situation is you. No one else matters. This is not, you're not trying to impress anybody. You're not trying to impress your parents. You're not trying to impress your wife, husband, boyfriend, girlfriend. This is purely, can we get your higher, uh, your heart to be on fire, lit up in a way that the world is going to see the best version of you that's going to truly go out there and make a positive impact. Mm. When you make that list, when you make that list, you narrow it down out of the 20, 30 names that you come up, you narrow it down to two or three. Those two or three, you dig deep. Why? So if it's a love, it's a hate that's bothered, go deeper. Why do I feel this way? What caused this? How deep is it? What can I do with this? How can I change this? How can, now this is the last question. How can I link this crusade, this cause, this purpose of mine to my business on the way I'm making money? Love it. So I'll give you a, a brief story on kind of how I found mine. So I'm lost, right, Patrick? I'd, I've blown my knee out, multiple knee surgeries. Doctor tells me if I'm a smart guy, I'll stop playing. Still want to play. That's my identity. I'm fighting coming back to play. I end up coming back, but I'm not happy any longer because when I was fighting to come back, I suffered depression, anxiety. I was opened up spiritually, right? So that's when I started to ask the question, okay, if this game is finished and I spent my entire life fighting to get here, if this is finished, what in the world am I going to do, right? So then I started asking the questions and it takes time and it's scary to ask those questions. And then you have to really strip down and, and, and listen to what your heart is saying, right? But then there was a moment where I kind of started to feel I love entertainment. I, I am a magnetic human being. I know that because people have told me that. You know, they, they like my energy. Then people started telling me over and over again, Wes, you have a great voice for radio. Have you ever thought about like going on radio, going back to school, la da da? And that was when I started to realize I'm listening to podcasts every day because I don't enjoy reading books. It's hard for me to sit still. So I listen to podcasts. Immediately, it's like it all comes together, right? Here's the next question for you, Patrick. I know why I decided to do it. I'm not really afraid of failing because I have had the opportunity to go chase a dream in another field and I've kind of got a little confidence off of that. But why do you think people are afraid to become entrepreneurs in the first place? Non-existent handcuffs and shackles that's been passed down by prior generations to them. Simple as that. Wow. Non-existent handcuffs and shackles that have been passed down from generations prior to them. Um, look, man, you know, I grew up poor. 
My family's poor. Never in my life have I lived in a house. Never. I've, I've never. When I went to the army, I've only lived. The biggest place we ever lived in was a two-bedroom apartment complex in Iran on the fourth floor. Uh, we never had a backyard. We never had a park. Uh, I don't know what it is to live in a place with a pool. Never. I didn't. My, I was a welfare kid. Um, you know, I, I was the kid at 14 years old. I got caught stealing baseball cars from SportsMart, and I got arrested while I had $60 in my pocket. The cop says, why'd you do it? I said, because this $60 here that I have in my pocket, I made because every night from 11 o'clock when my mom goes to sleep till two o'clock at night, I collect beer bottles. I collect cans from trash cans and two liter bottles at 13 years old, 14 years old. I said, do you realize how many hours it took me to recycle these cans to make that money? So he says, you don't need to do that. You have the money. And that was the last time I did anything like that because I got in trouble with that. I was 13, 14 years old, sports bar. Never forget this. Wow. Uh, you know, if you allow generational habits to pass down to you, look at Trump. Trump just became president. They were interviewing him on 60 Minutes. And he said, hey, why don't you drink alcohol? He's got four rules with his kids. I don't know if you know the four rules with his kids. I do not. No alcohol, no drugs, no tattoos, no cigarettes. These are his four rules. Sure. So if you want yeah. daddy to back you up, those are four things. He doesn't drink. He's never drank in his life. Why not? Because his oldest brother, Fred, died from alcohol. So there's pain linked to that. There's a lot of pain linked to that. You're older. I mean, think about a sibling. I don't know if you have a brother or a sibling. That's your first best friend. Sure. I mean, you're losing your first best friend. It's, it's a tough one, and it's blood. So look, you know, the reason why a lot of people don't go out there and do it because of the fears that they have that somebody else has put into their minds they got to stop believing it. The best book I would recommend for that would be a book called Outwitting the Devil. Outwitting the Devil, I read in one sitting at P.F. Chang's. I couldn't put the book down. Wow. An old book written by um, Napoleon Hill in 1929 or 1930. Mario, what, 1939 or something like that, that he never published, that Sharon Lecter uh, decided to publish it about seven years ago, six years ago. And whoever has those fears in their minds, that is the first book to read because it's purely an internal battle that does not exist. Sure. And every time we talk about fear here on Creating Space, the, the within reason, the advice that the guest is giving, when you feel fear, take an action, act right now. And even if it's a small right. step, take an action right now. And I really agree to that because it gives you confidence. Even if you fail, you know that you at least tried, you didn't succumb to the fear. Um, these walls that we hit in our entrepreneurial journeys, in our careers, sports, whatever endeavor, we all hit walls, right? Thresholds. You talk a little bit about the way to view these walls and the way to react to these walls. Tell me a little bit about what is the key to the reaction to these walls when you meet it? Reaction when you meet it. Uh, overthinking is, is uh, how do I describe this? I had a call yesterday with one of our guys, co complete stuff, total stuff, young cat, uh, quality guy, former oil worker who uh, was making 15 bucks an hour. He's going to make a quarter million this year. Uh, and he and I were having a call together. And, and I said, you know, the, the monster, when we were kids and we had the boogeyman, you know, under the bed, 
where we thought this monster existed. He was never around. I said, when you age, there are monsters. We think there are no monsters. There are monsters. We are creating these monsters that are non-existent. Let me elaborate. So one of the greatest gifts that's been given to all of us is the gift of imagination. Animals don't have this. We have it. That's when we're different. We imagine. We have the imagination to imagine whatever we want to do. Now, as great of a gift as that is, that is also a big um, uh, uh, thing that is, you know, hurts a lot of people because most people use their imagination in negative ways. For instance, what if I don't do this and what if this happens and what if that guy does, what if I feel, what if I start the business doesn't work out and what if, what if this and what if that, that, all this stuff, right? Versus a person on a complete other side is using the same exact gift and saying, what if this does work out? What if I pull it up? What if it happens? What would I say? How would I speak? What if I'm speaking in front of a thousand people? What will my message be? Let's give the talk right now. Hi, everybody. Thank you for the warm introduction. I appreciate that. First of all, I want to start by thanking my wife, my husband. Can we have her stand up without you? I wouldn't. I, I want to get into a star. I remember one, and you know, do you like, do you imagine that talk being given and people want to listen to you? I used to imagine this thing when I was 22, 23 years old, I'm going to speak in front of a thousand people. Six years later, I'm speaking in front of 15,000 people at one setting in Las Vegas that they're listening to me, give this message to them. And I would have never thought that was going to take place at 25, 26, 27 years old, but it happened. Purely from a gift of imagination. My entire life, I used the gift of imagination to give birth to fears. And I had to replace that gift of imagination to give birth to dreams that become a reality. It's the same effort. I really love that. It's just the direction that you choose to push your energy, isn't it? And it's either fear or it's love or belief. What if I am using that visualization technique and I can see myself in a future realm, the best version of myself. And I know that I, that it's there, but I don't know how to get there. And every day I'm trying to figure out how to get there, but I don't know what the right decision to make, or maybe people around me are, they can't see it. They're not believing in me. How important is it to have people around you that keep you focused on the goal and don't retract away from, you know, your vision, your goal and your self-belief? Well, you know, I would tell you, it would take me back to a whole different uh, conversation. Look, how often do you and I hear the, you know, the evergreen questions on podcasts? What do you think is the key to success? You know, what do you think is the key to this? You know, being in a business world now since 2000 and since 99 and 2000, 16 years, I would always ask that question. Yeah, I'd meet somebody, I'd say, hey, what's the key to your success? What's the key to your success? And people tell me the most random things. You hear, control your emotions. You would hear, work hard, be a man of faith, uh, marry the right person, love, respect, sell. All these things I heard. All of these things that I heard. Every one of these things. And nothing wrong with every one of these advice that's given to them. But what I wanted to know was, what is the most important skill set for me to learn to become successful? Is there one? And in my mind, I am 100% certain that there is not a single skill set more important than this in life. And I'll explain to you what it is. I believe the number one skill set in life is to learn how to process issues better. And I'll tell you what I mean by processing issues better. So for 26 years of my life, my priority on who was going to be my girlfriend was a number. It was 36, 24, 36. That's priority. 
you got to have a beautiful <laughs> you got to have a beautiful body and it's it's priority you got to have the perfect lips you got to have the perfect hair you got to have the perfect skin you got to have this you know toes every eyebrows everything to me that was priority then one day i uh, one of my assistants sandra she says pat you need to read this one book she gives me this book thinking to myself this book why is she giving me this book i read the book changes my life at 28, I'm certain what I'm looking for in a girl. Uh, I'm talking to four different girls at the same time, not being promiscuous. I already stopped it at 25, 26. I'm talking to four different girls at the same time. And I meet my uh, girlfriend, uh, my wife now. We have three kids together, seven and a half years married. Um, I, I meet her at a dinner, and I've known her for a few years. We go on our first date at P.F. Chang. Second date is the next day. I take her to... Uh, Santa Monica, we do the stairs on Santa Monica, then we went to uh, Earth Cafe, and then I took her to Borders, when there was a Borders, and I bought her the book on our second date was. It was called 101 Questions to Ask Before You Get Engaged. Second date. Second date. I had her read it, and I told her, I said, within a week, I want to get back together with you. All my questions are answered. I need you to answer. We're going to get back together to see if this makes sense or not. A week later on a Saturday, we get together. Six hours later, we go through every single question together. And I went through with the other three, four other girls. And I love those girls. They were great friends. We had great relationship. They wanted to marry. They wanted to also have a, a family. None of them were church related. It was purely people I had known. And this made sense. I knew right after the question I was going to marry this girl. We got married um, 18 months later. And now we're together seven and a half years. Are we going to be married for the rest of our lives? I have no clue, but I do know we can be married for another year. And we'll see what happened from there. The point is, that book helped me process issues on what marriage really meant. Do I even want to get married? Do I even want to have kids? Why do you even want to? Like, we don't even ask the question, why do you want to have kids? Is it because everybody has kids? Why do you want to have kids? What is the purpose of why you want to have kids? For what? It doesn't take a big deal to make kids. It takes a guy, you go have sex. Hopefully it's during the time she's ovulating, she could get pregnant. You're not making magic happen. You're not doing anything that's out of the ordinary. 103 billion people have been born in the world since day one. Some say 103, some say 113. You're not doing anything significant. The creation of the kid is magical, but you're not doing any, the act is two minutes and that's all it takes. Sometimes a lot less than two minutes. So that, <laughs> however long it takes to make the baby, then what are we doing? So the question goes back to this, Wes. Why do you want to become an entrepreneur, first place? Why do you want to be a millionaire? What for? Why is it? What do I need to do next? So processing from there, you need to go into, okay, great. What skill do I need to learn? How to process issues? What is the number one skill set I need to learn as an entrepreneur? I did a video called 11 Skills Millionaires Master. It's on YouTube. It's a great video for this. The number one skill set is sales. Okay, great. So now I know I need to learn sales. Next, what industry do I need to get involved in? Then you need to make a list of industries. Nutritionals, financial, real estate, investments, educational. What is it? FinTech. What do you want to get into? I resonate with this one. What team can I work with to learn? So maybe if I learn with these guys and I run with this group and I can find a team, I can own a piece of the company or maybe I'm going to start my own company. Once you learn how to process issues and you find your purpose, your calling in life, the next steps are fairly easy. It is not hard to do. You will figure out what to do next. I guarantee you that. Because everything comes back to learning how to process issues. Listen, a $100 million man, you've got sickening work ethic. You tell it just like it is. You, you know what your values are 
and you make decisions based off those pillars, I mean, you're, you're the ideal leader. But where are you headed next? So, you know, the company I'm a part of right now, PHP, I've been the CEO and the founder of this company now seven years and a couple months. We're the fastest growing financial firm in America. We started off out of one office in Northridge, California with 66 licensed agents to now we have 2,900 licensed agents. We're now licensed and appointed in 49 states. We're only missing one state. That's Montana. Um, this thing's grew at a hundred some percent this last year. It was the biggest growth year we ever had and it's the biggest we've ever been. This thing's gonna go to a whole different level in the next two, three, four, five years. On the personal level, I'm gonna be launching something here very soon that we haven't made it public yet. On a personal level, I'm gonna launch something very soon. Um, I see a big challenge with education. Uh, I am not a fan of our educational system. Uh, I'm about to launch a book. It's not going to come out for next six months, but the book is titled Drop Out and Get School is what the title of the book is, Drop Out and Get School. I did a video called Stay in School or Drop Out, and it created so much controversy that Forbes, Fortune, everybody started writing about this entrepreneur believes in such and such. I'm not a fan of the educational system. And most people can't afford to pay $45,000 to go to a Harvard Business School just because you want to go learn. Most people don't have the money like that. So we're going to create a platform for entrepreneurs around the world to take courses and learn from other great entrepreneurs specific to entrepreneurship. And that one's going to be launched in the next six months. It's going to be very big. We're excited about it. That's we incredible. That You're putting together a mastermind group, a mentorship group. That is exactly what society needs. I cannot exist in a 90-minute classroom sitting at a desk listening to a teacher either. I need it to be point-driven, niche-focused. I need to be interested in it to engage with the information. What you're doing, Patrick, that idea is incredible. Well, I appreciate that. I want to give you some love as well. Uh, whoever told you about the voice, you got a phenomenal voice. <laughs> I appreciate uh, that. A ridiculous voice. But even more importantly than the voice, you know, uh, in the movie Flash of Genius, it's about uh, uh, Robert Kearns. I want to say his last name. Maybe it's not Kearns, but something like that. He invented the windshield wiper. And when he presented the windshield wiper to uh, Ford and Chrysler, Robert Kearns. Okay, I got the name right. So he presented the windshield wiper to Chrysler and Ford. They gave him 100 grand, and then they stole the idea away from him. And they said, we came up with it. Wow. So he takes Ford and Chrysler to court. They go to court and the judge gets up and he says, listen, what he invented is nothing. It takes three pieces to put this thing together. There's nothing special about this thing here. So everybody in there says, why? Wow, he's right. This guy didn't invent anything special. Then Robert Kearns, who couldn't afford to hire his own attorney, attorney he gets up and he takes out a book. I want to say it's Tale of Two Cities uh, by Dickens. He takes it out and he says, how many of you have heard of this book before? It sold 50 million copies. Everybody has. He says, I want to ask you guys a question. Tell me if you've ever heard of these words before. He opens it up. He says, you ever heard the word where? Yes. Okay. Have you ever heard the book complicated? The word complicated? Yes. Have you ever heard of love? Yes. Who knows these words? Everybody. He says, then how come you've never written a bestseller that sold 50 million copies. He says, what made this book special is Charles Dickens knew how to combine the words together. 
to turn it into what it is. Wow. And brother, I'm going to give you some love, Wes. Your words, the way you communicate is very powerful. You're wow. a very, very good communicator, brother. And I think you got something very exciting going on for you. Uh, I've never heard about you. I've never uh, heard the name after spending time with you. You got a lot of talent, absolute talent. Cheers. I don't man. think I've ever said this on podcast. I don't think I've ever said this on podcast to anybody. And I'm interviewed six, seven times on podcast. You got a lot of talent. You back it up with your father's work ethic of waking up at 430 in the morning. Uh, the world's going to know about you if they haven't already. But I'm talking on a larger scale. So I just want to tell you, I'm proud of what you're doing. Keep it up. You're making a big impact in people's lives. Let me tell you this. Um, I'm grateful for you as well. I, You are a source for a lot of the continued inspiration that I have when I get to these walls and I'm, and I'm thinking I'm banging my head against it and I can't find where the hole is to get through. I, I plug into you, my man. You get me there. You speak my language. It's direct. Any of you in the Creating Space tribe, if you need a jolt of inspiration, get over to Patrick Bet Davis. Get to his YouTube page, The Valuetainment. There's so much going on there, so much value and entertainment. It's incredible. Hey, let me tell you, Patrick, if there's anything I can do in the future to be able to help push your message, I'm willing to do it. I know that any of the Creating Space tribe that wants to reach out to you, where can they find you, Patrick? You know, YouTube would be the first place that you would see the videos, contents are there. Uh, I respond back to every single Snapchat message I get, minus the naked pictures that are sent over. So <laughs> if you send me a decent message on Snapchat, I respond back. My user ID is betdavid19 on Snapchat, betdavid19, B-E-T, David19, just put them together. And then on my website, patrickbetdavid.com, the questionnaire you talked about, the 83 questions, they're on the website, the Ultimate Self-Discovery Questionnaire on patrickbetdavid.com. Go ahead and download that. I will tell you, don't do it until you're ready to really sit in and focus in it because it deserves all your attention. Patrick, thank you so much for coming on to Creating Space. You got it, buddy. Thanks for having me. Patrick met David, ladies and gentlemen. What a fantastic story he has. And I love that he's gotten himself to the top and now he's ready to educate and inspire the world on entrepreneurship. And I believe he has the tools and the power and the team to do it. So if you're interested a little bit more in Patrick David, jump on over to his YouTube page, search Valuetainment. You'll see Patrick. He'll come right up. He's got tons of videos with thousands and even hundreds of thousands and even millions of views. Get on over there. Check Patrick David out. Continue to pass on this podcast to anyone, any of the entrepreneurs that you know out there that may need just a little bit of juice, shoot them over this podcast. Continue to reach out to me on social media. I'm loving connecting with you guys. And if you get a chance and you're in the holiday spirit, I would love for you guys to jump over to iTunes and rate and review this podcast. It would mean so much to me to see your thoughts and share your feelings on Creating Space and how much you're enjoying this experience being a part of the Creating Space Tribe. Have a great rest of your week, and we'll see you right back here next week for Mindset Monday. Take care.